And how do these guys really control the market share? Because they're so well-financed and have so much money that they can use that money to buy the best way they can for themselves, trade into the market, and go put it into roasters' hands and terms. So they're basically financing the roasters. And what happens if a roaster struggles? Traders struggle. Mm-hmm. And you've seen and you're seeing, and trust me, I've seen it where a lot of these big traders, and even when they try to get my business, they'll say, well, we'll give you 180 day payment terms. And like, why would I want to sell coffee and not pay you for six months? That mm-hmm. that's actually sounds like, and then what are you doing at origin to be able to float money that much? Welcome to the Daily Coffee Pro by Maple Ford Friends. I'm your host, Lee Safar, and this is episode three of a five-part series where we're talking about the current state of the coffee supply chain. Um, We in this series are going to talk about the impact from the perspective of the exporter, trader, and importer. Now, anyone who has been paying any attention to the media in relation to commodities or coffee uh, will know that Mercon has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Thankfully, the audience of this podcast, and and to make it clear how many of you there are, there are 50,000 people that listen to this podcast every day. And I'm just so thrilled that we have that large an audience. When we surveyed who the audience are, it happens to be the smarter people in the industry. It happens to be thinkers. It happens to be people who are engaged and thinking about what is coming. And I'm very proud of that. Now, Martin, when it comes to the coffee industry from the perspective of exporter, trader, and importer, what do you think they're thinking at the moment? How are they seeing the industry? They're freaking out. They're panicking. Mm -hmm. I think we also have to, first and foremost, recognize nothing is what we think it is, right? Not every, we, we, we see a lot of these, there's a handful of major multinational traders. And then there's what we think is all these independent, you know, we're going to change the model. We're going to do things differently. Traders who are either owned by these uh, multinationals or fully financed by them. So we're really seeing everything that rolls up into a very small handful of of traders. And there's some independents, but very few that I know that actually have financing capabilities outside of the big handful of traders that exist. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, and these are groups that operate on thin margins that live and die through financing. And look, here's something I've always said, and I fully, fully believe after 25 years of being in this business, to most traders, the product is not coffee. The product is money. Mm-hmm. Coffee is the collider. Mm-hmm. So they are focused on what variables can I squeeze to make the most money, right? Mm-hmm. I can borrow at low rates. Loading at high rates. I can hedge my coffee against the futures market and, you know, hopefully it goes up and then I sell it at a higher market. I can, you know, whatever it might be. I mean, and, and these guys also, they live and die through money manipulation, right? Mm-hmm. But that's an easy world to live in when there's a lot of money and it's cheap money and when your customers are doing well. And I think they're getting hit from all sides now. You know, and rates you are higher. If you don't mind me saying, and if you don't have to care what impact that has in the cash market or on physical people. Oh, yeah. That's not a concern for them. Right. In general. It's, it's, uh, trust me, I've had people approach me and, you know, I've had major groups that want me to build mills and do this. And, you know, the common, that's where the money's made. I'm like, yeah, but that's where 
you know, people get really screwed. And that's where, mm. you know, just because you have more money, you can do certain things. It doesn't mean it's what you should be doing. But I think what we're seeing now is like, there's a kind of a squeeze from the bottom and the top of mm-hmm. these traders, which is, you know, not only are rates higher, um, producers are struggling. Folks, our first on-demand workshop, How to Become a Coffee Consultant, is now available for you to learn at your own pace, and it comes with a certificate upon completion. Go to mapperforward.coffee forward slash workshops or click the link in the show notes for more details. Support this podcast by supporting our sponsors. They're not accepting a lot of the terms they used to accept because they just, Mm -hmm. you know, because rates are too high and costs and inputs are too high or they're not producing as much. You know, we haven't talked about the global, uh, you know, the um, environmental and, and you know, weather change. changes that are, yeah. In, yeah. And so there's so many variables squeezing them. And here's the one that's really hitting them is the retail and roasting side of the business is not doing well. And how do these guys really control the market share? Because they're so well financed and have so much money that they can use that money to buy the best way they can for themselves, trade into the market. And go put it into roasters' hands on terms. So they're basically financing the roasters. And what happens if a roaster struggles? Traders struggle. Mm-hmm. And you've seen, and you're seeing, and trust me, I've seen it where a lot of these big traders, and even when they try to get my business, they'll say, well, we'll give you 180 day payment terms. And I'm like, why would I want to sell coffee and not pay you for six months? That mm-hmm. that's actually sounds like. And then what are you doing at Origin to be able to float money that much? Because you know, you should be paying your producer on the spot. You should be selling me coffee and I should maybe in 30 days pay you, you know, give me a little bit of time. But I think all those things are coming to a head. And I think what's also happening is these big train houses, the multis that either own or finance a lot of the smaller guys can't keep doing. Them. So you're going to be hearing yeah. about acquisitions, quote unquote, which is basically, Hey, you guys aren't paying your debt. We're going to fire you. We've, we've already seen a handful, um, and we're going to see more. And I think we're going to just see a reconsolidation upwards to the big, big multinationals. And I think the independents are going to struggle. And if you're an independent trader who just started this business five, six, seven years ago, and you're dealing with a volatile market, increasing uh, input costs for producers, lowering the production, you know, interest rates getting hammered and, you know, competitors who are going to give your roaster clients six months to pay, that's a tough, tough scenario. Very tough. And your point of differentiation isn't that relevant anymore, you know, because I think, I personally think we're getting to a world where the direct trade and the terms that we've been using for the last four years, because they're kind of coming out of style and we're going to have to come up with new ones because, you know, the new wave is coming. And Mm -hmm. I think traders are going to benefit from that, but they're also the the middle and small ones are going to get hurt by it because that was their supposed differentiation and i think at this point it's it's more pragmatic as far as the market is concerned you raise a really great point that people are going to start coming up with new terms and they're going to start coming up with new trends to help the market move along in challenging times and i would really like to caution people in the industry that are listening to this podcast from i guess Creating the same kind of fuckery that caused the problem that we're in in the first place. You know, terms like, I'm not going to mention any specific terms because it will link back to specific people, but things that 
certain players in the market, people who create coffee tools, people who have big brands in the industry, whether it's uh, whatever part of the industry, they, the supply chain they occupy, this is going to be a time where they're going to create a whole bunch of buzzwords and a whole bunch of new trends so that you can buy the shit that they've got to sell. Don't do it. Please don't do it. Please think about creating sustainable pro- uh, business models that solve problems. Please. Go ahead. Here's my recommendation. Unfollow every coffee company on your social media. This is what I tell my people. And think for yourself. Word. Think about what makes you and your model stand out, what makes it unique, why you're necessary in the marketplace, what value add down the supply chain and up the supply chain to the market. Mm -hmm. This is the first piece of advice I give everybody. Look, the specialty coffee movement is, is addictive almost. It's, you know, it's cool, it's fun, it's likable, and it's Instagrammable. And the terms and everything are very, you know, you get quick little dopamine rewards for using them, but they're bullshit, you know? And Mm -hmm. look, I've been in this 25 plus years. I've seen all the waves of trends and I can tell you the next one's coming is the healthy factor, right? Oh, no mycotoxins, no this. Our coffee has more minerals. I mean, it's already happening. And that's all lies too. I mean, you know, a high quality, fresh specialty grade coffee is not going to have molds and especially after it's roasted, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, But the trend chasers, don't come out ahead and some do. And here's what happens, right? A couple will, but those couple yeah. that will are heavily funded, heavily strategic and care nothing about, care only about getting on the shelves and exiting because they're very smart, shrewd business people who do this for a living. And look, I have a lot of good friends that run VCs and I, I, I appreciate what they do, but these people are just great at creating the building structure. And then whatever the dressing needs to be, whatever the facade needs to be, they'll just create it for the market and sell it and do the next one. Mm-hmm. And today might be a coffee company. Tomorrow might be selling organic manure for your coconut farm in Costa Rica. It doesn't matter. They go where the business. money goes. Exactly. So they will kill it. And you will see those stories and like, wow, these guys did this. And they, you know, they sell a mold-free coffee that everybody believes in and they just sold for a billion dollars. It's going to happen. But it's not the industry. And it's not necessarily, the, it's a niche, right? And I think you can go one of two routes. You can go the, be a great builder, builder of a business model that just wants to create money and wealth and, you know, do that. Or have a soul and have a purpose and have a, a you know, a point of differentiation. And frankly, I do both. I mm. do believe in having a business model. I believe in being very, very diligent about how I scale, you know, and my team knows this. If it's not scalable, I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to sit here and talk about, should we do this, make a lot of that? I'm like, we're talking about, you know, 40 bags of coffee a month. It, it doesn't matter. You know, not make the, the best decision. The business. We're scaled. We're impact. We don't care what, you know, the industry saying this week, this month. We care about what the consumer wants and we care about what's going to be the best impact for the producer and everybody gets better and healthier and happier and has the longevity. So... Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's, that's the, and and it's just, it's just, I see it happen so much where people just like get into the circular conversation within the industry. And that's why I think it's funny because I think the coffee industry is, is really interesting where people in the industry care more about what others in the industry think about them than what consumers think about them. It's so Mm -hmm. odd. 
you don't sell coffee to your competitors, but man, do these people care about what their competitors think. And, oh, we got this award and we're named this and we're, who cares? None. How yeah. many customers are supporting you and are you giving them value and quality and consistency and are you doing the right thing? I think people need to wake up from that. With regards to people waking up around stuff like that, we have, I want you to talk, I want you specifically to talk about this. The idea that people who have shit to sell are going to try and convince coffee roasters and producers of a specific agenda and they're going to hide behind some kind of movement. Why is that bad? Well, I'm, I, I shouldn't say that it's bad, but can you talk about what it does to, to a supply chain when that's the agenda? You know, I think it's bigger. I think, I think everything's a sale agenda. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a, um, you know, my friend's son hurt his knee and he was going to the doctor. And the first thing I told my friend, I said, listen, be careful because if you go to the wrong doctor, they're going to convince him to get surgery. What? And sure enough, the doctor tells him and my friend says, well, he needs surgery. I'm like, does he need surgery or is this a sales opportunity for a doctor? And I hate to sound yeah. like, but this is reality. Everything is a business. So what do people need to do in any business is give a sense of scarcity or need or obligation to the market, right? And, and those that do it well are good at it. You know, I've seen big players that do the worst things at origin and abuse producers the most come out with these beautiful presentations. And I mean, I, a friend of mine told me about one that where the uh, big, big multinational presented to a big, big retailer claiming that every bean can be traced within 10 feet of where it was grown. Rubbish. And we were laughing because we're like, man, these guys don't even know what mail it comes out of. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's easy to fall into that. And frankly, it's lazy and it's selfish. And I think it's uninspiring and boring. And if you're that kind of person, I don't want to be in the same business as you. But you want to protect yourself, right? From being able to be tricked that way. Of course. And that's why you should be educated. And that's why when a, a, a farmer talks about their plight and you should help a small farmer, it's like, well, if you're a farmer that speaks English and is on LinkedIn and went to a U.S. Ivy League school college, are you really a poor farmer or are you mm-hmm. using the poor farmer's plight to help you grow your investment in Latin America where you basically, you know, uh, gentrified coffee producers because you have better access to market? I think it all boils down to education. And it's education about what really happens. And that education, unfortunately, means really caring because I think we've like made this whole, like, I'm at origin thing, like this exotic, look at me with the natives instead of, uh, I'm going to go and learn from people. I'm going to go and be educated by people who've been doing this for generations and who care about and are passionate about this product that I claim to care about. And I can impact their lives and I want to understand what affects them. And I want to sit down with people that claim to affect them. I, th- I think it's also important, you know, when I was coming up, I met with a lot of the big multinational mills mm-hmm. and I learned from them, you know, and I said, well, tell me about this loan program you have for producers. It's really interesting. And they say, well, we, you know, you give us your contract and then we loan, we loan them money when they bring us coffee. I'm like, well, first of all, if you have their coffee, it's not a loan because you have their assets. So you're basically paying for coffee. Mm-hmm. And how much do you pay for that coffee? Well, typically it's market minus 10 cents. I'm like, well, I'm paying much more than market. So not only are you not loaning the money, you're, 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 you're saying it's off. a loan, but you're totally screwing them. So you have to really have these conversations and learn. And I was in Nicaragua, I've been in Honduras, I've been in Colombia, but you have to be there, not for photo ops, 
not to look like the white savior, but to learn from them. You're not there to teach them anything unless you're there to talk about what you do in your business. And here's how I roast your coffee and here's the bag. Let's try it. Here's how we cup it. But I think it goes back to just education, humility, and care. You know, and I think mm -hmm. um, those that don't have that opt for the trends. And unfortunately, that's that's a big, big common thing in the small hyper-specialty world that I think is talking itself out of existence, in my opinion. I agree with you that the whole talking themselves out of existence seems to be something, um, there seems to be a lack of fundamental understanding of business principles that's going on on the Rosa's end and on the cafe owner's end. And unfortunately, what this is going to do is this is going to lead to the demise of a lot of people, which is going to have a flow on effect back into the supply chain. Because the more roasters that go out of business, the less coffee that's being purchased. And that's not going to be great for anybody. Because the when the roasters go out of business, the cafes have fewer people to choose from. And a less supply means that with unchanged demand means prices are going to go up as well. So it's going to be really interesting to see the way that it affects the consuming end of the market as well. Let me make a little argument against that. Please go ahead. I think the hyper-specialty movement created a category that mm -hmm. it put on a pedestal mm -hmm. and created as the only thing that people should be buying because, I mean, there's claims about it being for the, better for the farmer, for the environment, that, you know, smaller is better, bigger is bad. And guess what smart money did? They said, oh, people want to talk about that being important. Let's plant some geisha. Let's, the people with money were able to do it faster, better, more efficiently. And in my opinion, that small movement barely moved the needle at all as far as consumption and volume, created noise, created confusion. So that segment disappearing is hurting the people that they lied to and gave false hope to. Well, yeah, 100%. And so I don't think that there's going to be less coffee being consumed. I think that their lies are being, you know, those checks are being cashed and there's no funds to back them up. Yeah. And I have to be honest, I care as little about that happening to them as they cared about the impact they made producers. Yeah. And well, I'm not I'm saying not, that there's... My, I'm not a bleeding heart about that, you know, no. because they deserve it because they've never cared about producers. And I'm not saying that there's going to be less coffee consumed. I'm saying there's going to be less roasters to service cafes which is going to create a whole new interesting dynamic. That's if those cafes survive anyway, which I think that there's going to be some issues from that perspective as well. And with regards to the Gesha, what's really, really interesting is once Gesha stopped becoming something that was special, I guess, you know, everybody started creating Gesha, you had some producers come on this podcast and say, no more Gesha. Like Los Pereneos, mm -hmm. Diego Barreona, he came on the podcast and he said, you know, they are one of the better farms that are doing very, very good business. And he came on the podcast and said, we're no longer planting any Gesha. It's so taxing on them and labor intensive and they just don't have access to the labor. It's just becoming so debilitating that it doesn't fit their business model. It's just not going to work. And it's hurt the quality of Gesha. I mean, Gesha 15 years ago, you go to Boquete, you have a Gesha. It's amazing. It's phenomenal. It's like the most. I've had geishas. I mean, I just had one last week that I, you know, I have a little San Franciscan roaster at home and I do my own, you know, of course you roasting do. for fun. <laughs> <laughs> and this geisha tasted like, I mean, just super basic, barely commercial grade coffee. So it's, it's also hurting the quality of that coffee. And I think it's just a downward spiral across the board. Mm. Um, 
And at the end of the day, where does the market sit? What does the consumer want? You know, I think we're starting to see uh, those shifts. And going back to the roasters, I would argue there's too many roasters. There's right. way too many roasters. So yep. look, it's it's natural selection, survival of the fittest, whatever you want to call it. But I think there's there's a, a thinning out coming. And frankly, I think it's necessary because I think a lot of those roasters create noise and lies and, you know, false hope. And I think those who stand by what they're doing and are, are real will survive. And those who've been lying and kidding themselves even won't. And I just think that's, that's a healthy thing, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we're in a bubble. There's no other way to put mm -hmm. it. Where The industry across the supply chain is in a bubble and it's about to pop. It's, I think it's started popping. Um, and in the next episode, we're going to talk about the industry from the perspective of the roaster. And we're going to talk directly about that bubble. Join us for the next episode, folks. Peace, love, and peanut butter. Have an amazing rest of your day. Thanks, friends. If you enjoyed this video, here's what you should check out next. Consider supporting Mapper Forward on Patreon and be sure to subscribe and hit the notification bell before you leave. Thanks for tuning in, friends. There are two ways you can support this podcast. Firstly, become a paid member of our YouTube channel. Secondly, you can join our Patreon for as little as $3 a month. Both have options for exclusive ad-free content and early release content. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. The Daily Coffee Pro is produced by Map It Forward and the music you're listening to is called Run 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 off of my album Laundry After Midnight. To get older episodes of this podcast, as well as more information on Mapper Forward, head to mapperforward.coffee. You can find links and more information in the show notes below.